BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Another year around the sun means another year of all sorts of weather, both the beautiful and the horrible. Every single season brought its own flavor of extreme weather from crippling winter storms to monstrous tornadoes to scalding wildfires and of course, tropical storms and hurricanes. And if these weather events didn't physically impact you, their scope in the weather world was so large, you couldn't ignore the conversation. And speaking of conversation, we're going to close out the year on the Weather Geeks podcast and break down these most notable weather events of 2023. I'm meteorologist Jen Carfagno from the Weather Channel. I've got Heather Zahn's meteorologist at the Weather Channel and Greg Postel, Dr. Greg Postel, <laughs> our weather specialist. Uh, you guys, there was a lot to pick from this year. It was a big year, a record year for billion dollar disasters specifically, but there were just so many, you know, outside of just the US, there were so many events that we, we are gonna talk about today. So I'm excited. And speaking of the international flavor to the start, we had atmospheric rivers come into California, parts of the West Coast, mm -hmm. from the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Some might call it the old Pineapple Express mm -hmm. from Hawaii, but it's definitely started us off on a very wet note in the West. Yeah, and that's where we should begin talking mm -hmm. about the record number of atmospheric rivers. It actually started in December yeah. of yeah. last year. Mm -hmm. And I think it happened in January at such a pace. We all sort of sat back and yeah. like, what kind of year are we going to have? You know, mm -hmm. wondering that very question. Yeah. And it was also a lot of analogs to like, will the fire season in 2023 be a lot less? And we know now, at least in the U.S., the fire season here was pretty muted um, mm -hmm. compared to in Canada, which, of course, we'll talk about as well. But like how that Jan or December and January in California really set up um, California, honestly, for success. Like they had a pretty good. The drought pretty much was completely eradicated. The fire season was really low. So even though there was obviously flooding and other impacts, um, I feel like throughout the whole year, it was a good situation. A good situation. And, you know, the thing about atmospheric rivers that sort of has always piqued my interest is how they get initiated. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times they're not strictly tropical systems. In fact, a lot of times what happens is these big systems in the jet stream just get close enough, just touch the ITCZ, sort of in, uh, sort of wiggle it a little bit, and then you get these streams of tropical air that move in. So it's no surprise that you get the kind of rainfall that we saw in the West because of that tropical connection. And these atmospheric rivers are very efficient at bringing floods and all the sort of hazards that accompany exceedingly moist atmospheres in complex terrain like the West, the mountains, bring this tropical air in the mountains and it's it's trouble. Yeah. You know, we learned a lot of new terms this year, not us necessarily, but I think the general public did. I mean, as your river in general really came to the forefront there of the, the public lexicon, yeah. um, family of atmospheric rivers, which we learned in, in January, we saw nine, yeah. nine within one family that came in one right. after another. I learned a lot about atmospheric rivers because of this event that they make landfall. Like I didn't know, right. I didn't know that. And I was like, oh. They have categories like her. Yeah, yeah. I, these are all, I was like, I learned something new every day working here. So <laughs> that was one of them. We saw a number of the higher end categories. Yeah. And they brought their own problems. So the category scale for anyone who's not familiar, 
goes from Cat 1 to Cat 5 like a hurricane and Cat 5 being the worst. And usually a Cat 5 atmospheric river is mostly hazardous. You know, if you get a Cat 1, a Cat 2, even a Cat 3, it can be beneficial and bring in, um, you know, the, bring in the moisture, bring in the snowpack in a very good way and leave without any problems. But once you get up to Cat 4 and 5, which we had a number of, and that we saw the landslides, we saw the flooding, mm -hmm. uh, it, it became too much of a good thing. Yeah. And it lasted. It wasn't just, you know, one group, as you said, that started in late December. It extended into February and March. Mm -hmm. um, so over and over again, we saw these clusters of atmospheric rivers come in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and now folks are asking the question, well, will this do a repeat? It was a lot of year last year. And was. this year is going to be in El Nino. Yeah. So you would think this, this year has the potential to be as wet or wetter. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of tweets recently about like the jet streak coming in from the Pacific already like going into Christmas week in the West and how it's like, uh oh, are we seeing analogs again of what just happened, you know, this time last year? So we'll see. Interesting. Just real quick thought on that. And I don't know the answer to this. I'm just kind of yeah. tossing it out there. Mm -hmm. But the idea that, you know, with El Nino and the strengthening subtropical jet that we've seen so prominently displayed on the weather maps and the satellite pictures. That's a, a different kind of phenomenon than what we saw last year. What we saw last year was the extension, I believe, of the polar jet into those mm -hmm. tropical latitudes of the high amplitude wave activity in the Pacific. So you got those streamers coming in off of the polar jet. What we have now, we haven't seen much of that. The polar right. jet has been displaced farther to the north, but the subtropical jet is what's bringing in. And it's been typically the latitude over Mexico, at least a lot of times. So mm -hmm. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but it's just yeah. food for thought. Yeah, that is the geek out. We <laughs> Sorry, my no, that's why we're here. The geek out we are here for. That was Again, I don't yeah. know the answer, but I'm just yes. throwing it out there. That's Someone else great answer. observation. That's an excellent observation. You know, sometimes with a strong jet stream, whether it's subtropical or northern branch jet stream coming into California, it extends that eventually into a severe weather. If you have a big dip in the jet over the West, that can extend to severe weather across the plane. So let's let's transition to severe weather um, and maybe talk about some of the bigger outbreaks. First, starting off with um, the one in March, which was the rolling the rolling four tornado. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the EF4, um, it was the first EF4 in a while. I don't remember the specific stat, but it was there was a lot of discussion that it could have been the first EF5 in um, a decade or something, but it, you know, they stuck firm with the EF4, but it was such a disaster. I remember, I think we did a podcast together about, mm -hmm. or after it happened and just seeing the correlation coefficient um, just track across. And it went, it was such a long track tornado. It basically scaled all of Mississippi um, and, you know, caused so much destruction. Um, it was, again, kind of with the California, we were like, is the whole winter going to be like this? We thought the whole severe season, are we Are we going to see these long track tornadoes like every, you know, like th this was just March. And we were like, oh, no, we still have a few months of, you know, severe left. How is it going to still be really bad? So, yeah, Rolling Fork was, was quite a wake up for spring. It was. And kudos to the Storm Prediction Center, because I think that day they really had it. Yeah. Uh, they were giving a high awareness to the situation. Mm -hmm. I think it was a moderate risk uh, by their terms, which is a level four out of five. Mm -hmm. um, and I think their tornado probabilities were pretty high. So it was actually a pretty well forecast overall event over the southern U.S. And Rolling Fork, Mississippi, you know, going back and looking at some of the video that has come out from it, it made it into the tornado at a high intensity in Rolling Fork after dark. Yeah. It was like eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. And seeing some of the video that in retrospect, looking back on it, how terrifying is this? Because this supercell thunderstorm producing a tornado was moving into town only illuminated by lightning. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You, there was no visual whatsoever, but there was, when the lightning flashed, there was this massive wedge heading right for Rolling Fork. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seeing that in real time, I can imagine yeah. only thinking this is really. Yeah. It reminds me of the scene out Twister where they're like watching the movie at the drive-in theater and then you see in the background. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. It was exactly like that. I went there for live coverage right after it happened. Oh, yeah. um, incredibly sobering. And I just have to say, as always, talking to the people that were affected, it's amazing how grateful they are despite seeing their town just completely you know destroyed utterly destroyed um but grateful you know for the lives that, so, that were still there 17 people lost their lives is that right in World there, War? and there was multiple tornadoes in the area so i think the total count was 21 or 22 you know just in in that area um but one consistent story i heard is that they all knew about the forecast for bad weather it was well forecast yeah. and they were all moving to more sturdy structures you know because there's a lot of mobile homes yeah. um and so they did know that they had to, to get out and to get mm -hmm. to a better place in some cases even a you know a regular home was not strong enough to withstand the power it is crazy how sometimes you have these tornadoes that really it doesn't matter what structure you're in yeah you there's no it. safe there's no safe place unless you're underground underground and some places just don't have that ability mm -hmm. well and ef4 in fact a high end ef4 yeah. and definitely an ef5 you've got to be underground yeah, yeah. and you don't know what kind of tornado you're going to get ahead of time yeah you know you just you just see the warning you know maybe in some case or in this case too it was a tornado emergency so there's some people you know there's a little bit more of a heightened warning to it but still, it's like you can you only have one tornado plan. Usually you're not going to be like, oh, this is for just a normal tornado. And this is for like a high end tornado, you know. So um, hope, I'm glad that a lot of people um, were from Rolling Fork, were, you were able to like talk to them when you were there and everything. And they were grateful. So that's that's great to hear. Um, I want to step back to February, actually, and talk about cold and actually just talk about the oh, yeah. winter. We should just talk about winter. First of all, not a lot of winter storms make it to the billion dollar disasters. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. And um, we didn't actually have many. No, there was the Buffalo blizzard. Well, that was Christmas Day last year. So this technically didn't make it to the, to the wrap up list. But that was, you know, that had um, like long lasting effects given yeah. to this winter that people are thinking like, you know, obviously this Christmas is going to be a lot warmer. But, you know, could this winter, could they have another big event like that? You know, you never know. You can get, even in winters that are generally warm, you know, you can get, as you guys know, yeah. you can get these bursts of Arctic air that really are shocking. Yeah. And in early February last year, 2023, this one came out of Canada and really sort of centered its sights on the Northeast mm -hmm. and essentially was the coldest air anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere at the time. Mm -hmm. And they, what really was dramatic about that was not so much the actual temperatures, although they, they were really cold. I think Boston got to minus 10 on February 3rd or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was the wind chill. Oh, yeah. The wind chill numbers were, I think, setting records in some places at minus 50 in northern Vermont. And then there was that Mount Washington observation, oh, which yeah. everybody loved. Remember? Yes. That yes. interview that came out? Yeah. The wind chill was like minus 108 or something yeah. like that. It Crazy. Oh, yeah, we know from it being in the Midwest that it's like, oh, it's the, you know the air temperature, it's whatever, but it's the wind chill. That's the wind. Yeah, <laughs> like hey, wasn't it that video that was like, here's what it looks like in the stratosphere or whatever on top of Mount Washington? Wasn't that was that this I event? Think it was, I think it was. Yeah, howling wind I everywhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, those schools were closed. It was that cold, mm -hmm. and it only lasted a couple days. It not like days. five days later, it was you know above average in the forties yeah. in many cases. I remember this came in after Groundhog Day because yeah. I was in Pennsylvania for Groundhog Day and watching 
watching the cold air and the, and the forecast and I got, I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here well, the earliest flight I need to go. <laughs> but the, actually the bulk of the really Arctic air hugged New England. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's where it was. Um, but, you know, there was really the lack of snow is what made headlines. The fact yeah. that we're still on a low snow streak in New York City. What, no inch of snow for 660 yeah, days? That was two years. Yeah. Yeah. On this today, like Philadelphia Street, it's exactly two years today on whatever day it is, December 11th 13th. or 12th. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. But it's like exactly two years that they have not had a, an inch of snow in one day. So it's, it's crazy. Imagine being a snow lover in the Northeast cities. And we grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, December sometimes it was slim pick. It was hard to come by. Yeah. But you would get occasionally maybe mm-hmm. six inch snowstorm every now and then. My gosh, two years. Yeah. Two years, not just two Decembers, two years. Yeah. Where's the snow? It's a barn. Mm-hmm. I, uh, personally, I think if, yeah. And we, like, if it's going to be cold, it might as well snow. That's usually, that's the motto where it's like, it, why you have the cold if it's not actually going to snow? It's not going to look nice, you know? So well, I agree with that. <laughs> and when you think about extreme weather, snow might be the one you want most to get because there's a reason why snowstorms don't often make it to the billion dollar disasters. For the most part, they're manageable. Mm-hmm. As long as people make smart decisions. Yeah. People, I think, yeah. visually know to stay inside. Like they look out their window and they're like, I'm not driving in that, you know? And they usually just stay home cozy, you know, with the fireplace on. Power outages become the biggest right, exactly. issue in those cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so let's then jump back to severe weather and uh, keep going on our timeline here. End of March, uh, of course, we had rolling for 24th, 25th mm-hmm. for severe weather. Then just a few days later, right we seals. had another severe weather event that included parts of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Actually, all the way up into Iowa. There were two different high risks, right? Like there was an Iowa high risk and then the... I think it was the first time in a couple of years that we actually had a high risk, and there were two of them on yeah. the map yeah. uh, in different places. One, as you said, in, in the upper Midwest and yeah. parts of Iowa, and the other one in the deep south. So I think this one was a bit, it was a good forecast overall, but probably I think the expectations, maybe the numbers didn't quite meet meet the expectations of SPC yeah. uh, because the atmosphere, you know, at an initial glance in the forecast looked so ready for tornadoes of all kinds, yeah. uh, the long track tornadoes that they so often uh, worry about. Mm-hmm. This was one of those days that had the potential to bruise a lot of them. I don't think there were some, yeah. but not as many as I think initially feared. So there's right. good news there. Yeah, when they when SBC goes high risk, that's like all the alarm bells going yeah. everywhere. Um, so this, yeah. It was an EF4. That was an island, right? Yeah. That was a visual yeah. one too. I think I that was that. It was right? like like low precipitation or whatever. We had so much like video of it, like cut, cutting across. I do remember that yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure as a weather producer, you have a different perspective yeah. as you put together segments. Yeah, of what comes like, because usually when we build the shows here at the Weather Channel, you know, we plan the show ahead of time. Like here's how we want the weather hits to go, and then you you go into the show. But when it's a severe weather day, you're like, well, we'll just wait until we get in there, and then we'll see. We'll watch the radar with everyone else and you know, kind of go step by step. So it's a very different experience to uh, weather produce for severe weather. The weather system that was kind of controlling the severe weather overall was a big extratropical cycle. It was a 975 low moving moving through the Midwest with non-thunderstorm winds that were near 100 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. So it was a brute of a Midwestern cyclone. And it had those ingredients. That's why I think everybody was so worried leading into that event. And, you know, unfortunately, it was 
destructive in its own right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, thankfully, I don't think matched the expectations. I mean, it was a multi-day event, though, and I yeah. think that's how the numbers added up for the number of tornadoes yeah. with multiple days. Yeah. It ended up, you know, the last April 1st day was a EF3 in Delaware. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. It was wild. <laughs> so wasn't the number, like, this was like one of the highest number of tornadoes uh, for any given event, multi-day event? Yeah. Not as high as a super outbreak? Not as high as a super outbreak, but highest since then. I so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fortunately, I think the like two-thirds of them were the EF0, right. EF1, right? Yeah. That yeah. was what I was thinking about when the SBC was so worried about the yeah. potential for that outbreak. We didn't. We only had one EF4 and very few EF3s. Yeah. Yeah. The Delaware one was crazy. Um, a lot of people, well, we put out a, uh, a prompt to you Weathergate listeners, um, what was your most memorable weather event of 2023? So we could talk about it today. And people were talking about the Delaware tornado, like this, you know, it's severe weather time. This was March into April. So, you know, you know, that's when severe weather tends to happen. But up in Delaware, an EF3 tornado, like you just, you just don't see that. And a little walker. And then, and then early in the season, yeah. you might expect a star June, you know. Right. When they get these big, you know, severe like wind events and stuff like that. Little Rock, Arkansas, I think the EF3, was that the same event? I think it, it was. was. Yes, it was. Okay. Yes, it was like yeah. early. I remember that was at like noon or one o'clock. Or so. That was like early in the day. It was kind of like the precursor to the rest of the event, basically. Mm-hmm. I think that's what that event will be remembered for, just how far reaching it yes. was. And so many Little Rock were in Delaware. Yeah, and Iowa. And Iowa. All right. Uh, well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the event that I'd say we had the most comments on in social yeah. media on the the most memorable weather event of 2023. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast We are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Jen Carfagno. We've got Heather Zons, Greg Postel, all here to recap 2023 on the severe weather season. And we just talked through the Amstrick Rivers of California. We talked through some of the severe events in the spring. What about the Canadian wildfires oh, and yeah. the smoke from it? 
that was the most commented on our social media posts about asking you all for your memories of this past year. Yeah, and I think us here at the Weather Channel, like obviously we knew the Canadian wildfires were going on. We, we were talking about the smoke, but it was the day, it was like June 7th, I believe, the day that the upper winds shifted just perfectly enough to push the smoke in into New York City. Like that was where everyone was like, is there an apocalypse going on? Like what is happening? You know, the orange tint over everything. Um, so much, so much videos and pictures on social media about it. It was, it was a wild day, honestly. You know, I'm just actually thinking of the, the weather presentation standpoint of this. And like, this is sort of the event that we have been ready for. Like you, yeah, I said all the graphics designed already to pull in the air quality data. We just never had a need to use right. this many. Yeah. Like I can't imagine another circumstance with these many stations right. reporting yeah. hazardous air quality. Yeah. We have all these graphics for like all the major cities with their air quality. We have all these maps with, you know, the whole region, each city, and they're just sitting there waiting to get used. And then on, you know, in June when that happened, you used to see all the extremely unhealthy like spikes in like all of these cities coming coming into the summer it was dry and warm i remember we were doing we did a coffee talk segment on that and how canada had been sitting underneath a ridge for a long time at the jet stream level so there was very little weather systems moving through to to rain across much of canada in the may april may time frame especially and then it just caught on fire and yeah. didn't stop. Mm-hmm. I, it was something like, I don't know, that I really couldn't have imagined happening, how much wildfire there was in Canada. Yeah. I mean, it was so widespread in multiple From provinces. to east. Mm-hmm. Both, both sides. Yeah, it was it was wild. And people were asking, like, when it was happening, they were asking, when when will it finally stop? And I was like, we got to wait till it snows. Like, that's like the most like widespread precipitation that you could get. And it was like, we'd have to wait six months at the time, you know, for it to, for enough widespread precipitation to finally like snuff out those fires. And right. people did not like that answer, but that was really the only one. Because until that happened, if you had the wind flow set up to bring in the smoke, you were going to see it. And we honestly did all summer to some extent, not as bad as that June event, but yeah. we saw smoke across North Dakota, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin for a lot of the summer, hazy skies. And it, maybe it wasn't smoky per se, but it was a haze that came from wildfire. And we actually saw that all the way down to the deep south, including in Georgia. Yeah, I remember seeing a lot of pictures of people just, you know, taking a photo on that sunny day of the sun. And then they're like, there's just a bit of a haze around it. So yeah, it was, it was a very interesting summer. Yeah. Uh, speaking of interesting, in July, the flooding of Vermont, and that was another event that a lot of folks mm-hmm. on social media brought up. That was uh, that was pretty significant. One of the things that came to my mind when I was going back and looking at some of the data, you know, the rainfall amounts for this event, multi-day event. I remember exactly how long it lasted, but um, five to ten inches ish, yeah. right? Which, if you move that to a different so, part of the country, yeah. Florida, you're like, okay, that's a lot of rain. But Florida and other places manage it. But the mm-hmm. problem is, as we talked about with the atmospheric rivers in the West early on, is that when you put that kind of rain in a complex terrain like Vermont in the mm-hmm. Green Mountains, it's very problematic. I mean, if, if you're for those of us not familiar with the shape of Vermont, the middle of it, it's like a roof, mm-hmm. right? On the west and the east side, the altitude is lower, and the middle of it is where all the mountains are. Mm-hmm. That's where the heaviest rain came down. And I had nowhere to go, but during these through these valleys and the runoff was what really caused the big problem. Yeah. It actually reminded me of the flag that we had in Kentucky the right. previous summer. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, yeah, it was. 
they, I think it was the most rainfall they've seen since Tropical Storm Irene yes. um, for, for Vermont. Um, so there was definitely something they hadn't seen in quite some time, but they did a great job communicating. And we were talking about the severe weather with that SPC mm-hmm. doing a great job communicating. Uh, I think NWS uh, Burlington did they a great were, job as well. The local offices were right on it. I yeah. think alerting everybody the day before. Yeah. There's a major risk here yeah. for interior flooding. They put uh, a day two high risk right. flooding, which is I different remember. than a SBC high risk. But um, day, when you get when you're a whole day ahead of the event, knowing it's going to be a high end level event, um, that's great for communication. Yeah. Do you recall? Because I don't. Um, where the moisture came from? Was it a direct fetch from? The Caribbean, Gulf Mexico, or was it Atlantic? I do not. I'm not Iraq. Vaguely, it it moved northward along the uh, eastern seaboard from the I think the Caribbean, Western Atlantic regions. So it was a moisture rich yeah. source. Yeah. Um, and so P watts per for water vapor was not. Um, again, I think it was a couple of inches, but I mean that's just at any given instant. If you have that airflow continuing right. over the region, mm-hmm. uh, and and an efficient way to wring all that water vapor out yeah you can get an incredible amount of rain and mm-hmm. you know for northern new england it exactly was that yeah, yeah. for sure uh august was busy uh but the summer was busy the, the late spring was kind of slow actually may was nothing really popped up in yeah. May, but now we've gone through june and july and in august we had a number of events including a severe weather outbreak again social media um folks here uh asked us to add this to the list um it was a moderate risk for severe weather in the Northeast. And mm-hmm. I think uh, it was the first they'd had in a while. So it caught, caught a lot of folks. Yeah, it was mainly a wind event for them. I don't remember exactly if it's a derecho. I don't want to say that um, without specifically knowing. But it was, um, we had a huge stretch of uh, severe wind reports. It was the highest report or the most storm reports in a day this year was on, was during this outbreak in August. So the March 31st, August one was the most tornado reports that we had. This was the most overall severe reports that we had. And I think it's also just because when you get into the Northeast, a lot more populated areas, a lot of, a lot more people can report on the damage and things. So um, there were a lot of people that were impacted by this. I remember the power outages. Oh gosh, there yeah, there was a lot, and you know it's summertime. Why your AC? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But then shortly after, we had the Maui wildfires. Yeah, that, the next day, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we yeah. start there. I, yeah, I mean, how what happened so quickly and caught so many people off guard? Right, because I think uh, because the the severe outbreak was on August seventh, and then the Maui wildfires were August eighth. Which so we were pro- we were so focused on the severe and the aftermath and everything and then Hawaii um, happened and that was so fast that was when we say August eighth like it was literally just one day just like an inferno and then it, and then they finally got put out and then all we saw all the damage you know after the fact but like most disasters though there was a sort of a backstory I mean it had been dry yeah I'm a drought and that was. A big part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, it was windy, and it was not windy because of a necessarily localized event. It was a bigger, broader scale, really strong high pressure system that was mm-hmm. to the north. I mean, that was that was really the main impetus for the wind. Yeah. So um, there was Hurricane Dora, which you know, well to the south, that folks claim might have played a role. We don't really know if it did, right, Greg? You don't think? <laughs> you don't think it? I have some. Well, I mean, yeah. here's a, that's a, that's actually a really good question yeah. because every weather system has a global scale influence. It's whether or not you can detect it. So you could have a hurricane on the other side of the world and by itself, it will contribute to your wind, um, maybe only a a few millimeters per second, Mm -hmm. but it will do it, right? Mm -hmm. 
So Hurricane Dora, what, 500 miles away from Hawaii? Yes, a couple of miles per hour of the wind that they got was associated with that. But the thir other 30 was the high pressure system to the north. Yeah. So that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything has an influence on everything else, but what was a real dominating influence? Jen, to your point, it was the high pressure system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this was like the... I mean, we have so many events that we're talking about today, but this feels like the epitome of like a perfect storm of like such bad situations where you had the dry, you had the wind, like with the high pressure, you know, coming in and everything. It was like, this was like the perfect storm of the worst things that could happen. And those high pressure systems are oftentimes at that part of the world, dry high pressure systems, mm -hmm. even though they're over the ocean. This air mass that was coming in had, was not a tr of tropical nature. Yeah, yeah. So the soundings were very dry. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it not was, helpful. It, the ground was dry because right. the ground and the air was the exceptionally air, dry, exactly. by, especially by Hawaii standards. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that absolutely devastating. Um, let's uh, stay in the Pacific though. Um, and Hillary, tropical. But we're still in August, by the way. They're right. <laughs> they haven't left August. Yeah. Uh, tropical storm Hillary. Yeah, the hurricane. <laughs> right. Because then there was an earthquake. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a wild day on social media where it was like people had their phone like the notification of tropical storm warning and then hurricane alert or uh, earthquake alert. Yeah. And they were like, What is going on? This is the world ending. So uh, Hillary was a hurricane and it was a threat to Mexico. It's cat four. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At one point. It thankfully yeah. weakened before it approached the Baja of California yeah. in Mexico. Um and I remember looking at the track several days in advance, like, oh, wow, this this might actually make a run up for Southern California. And it did. Yeah, it did. We've talked a lot about, there have been many systems in the East Pack that have brought moisture into yeah. Southern California with just like the remnants or just, you know, the lingering. But this was, this technically stayed a circulation. It stayed a tropical storm into the state of California, which- We had tropical storm warnings for Southern California, yeah. Los Angeles included. Mm -hmm. I think that was the first time in, I don't know how long, a long time, yeah. Decades. Yeah. Think, many decades. I think it was before at least NHC started issuing tropical storm warnings that they had ever issued one for that area. So. When it made landfall, I think it made landfall as a tropical storm in Baja, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, Baja, California, and as a 60 mile per hour tropical storm. So I guess in some sense, thankfully, it made landfall prior to moving into California, so we could eat further. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think the landfall was the problem. Yeah. And I don't think the wind was the problem. I think no. it was always the rain. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. uh, two to three inches of rain, which is what we got in the desert southwest. That's a year's worth of rain. Yeah, and you got it in like hours. Yeah, less than twelve hours. Yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking now of like how this year, like at all four corners of the U.S. have been impacted with heavy rain events. We had Vermont. Mm -hmm. We have F the Fort Lauderdale flooding, which twice is make yeah <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. Then we had Hillary in the Southwest, and then all the atmospheric rivers for like in the, no the Northwest and everything. Yeah. Literally everywhere, all all corners have yeah. been impacted by heavy rain events this year. So so true. Um, and with regard to Hillary, we got a new lake out of it. In, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Got a new lake <laughs> uh, in Death Valley, and then going back to the Asheville Rivers, we got a new lake out of that as well. The Tulare. Oh yeah, like it was a lake long, 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 long time ago. Yeah, and thanks to the rainfall this year, it returned. Yeah. How about that? Can't bury a lake. Yes, it's it always comes back. All right, let's take another quick break. We come back. We'll talk more about the hurricane season in the Atlantic this year. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Jen Carpagno, along with Heather Zanz and Dr. Greg Postel. And we are recapping 2023. We have made it now to the end of August. August has been a hard month to get through because there's so much weather. Um, Hurricane Idalia at the very end leading into the Labor Day weekend. Yeah, that was... Um, there were a lot of superlatives for this storm, mainly the strongest storm to impact the big bend of Florida in, I think, ever or something or in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was... I think ever. Yeah. On record. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was it was an interesting storm where kind of the, the wavering of the intensity of it, where it rapidly intensified when it got into the Gulf, but then once it made landfall, it was going through like an ERC, uh, our replacement, and kind of lowered the expected impact which is great um for like cedar key and places like that obviously it was still devastating um but it could have it could have been a lot worse it's yet another example of ri you know uh kind of on approach yeah to land which is becoming a big problem for us yeah i mean i don't know how many storms tropical cyclones in the last few years have done this but it seems like it's now almost routine. Yeah. That like, they'll, it's going to go through an RI and then it will, you know, yeah. That they're going to pick up intensity real quick in the final hours. And, you know, going from a, a tropical storm to a hurricane in 24 hours, um, 30 hours prior to landfall is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. For emergency managers, for everybody trying to get prepared. <laughs> and the good news, as you mentioned, I mean, I, I know, looking for the silver lining here, is that Idalia did kind of collapse. Its mm-hmm. core fell apart with that replacement cycle yeah. in the last six hours, which mattered a lot. Yeah. I watched a lot of video of Idalia, of uh, hurricane chasers and lots of people in the area um, following the storm just to go back and look at it for my own um, interest. And it was very clear. It was nowhere near a category four hurricane uh, as it was over the water when it made landfall. Thankfully, mm-hmm. it had weakened a lot. Interestingly, the worst part about it was the backside eyewall that came in on the, the second wind. Okay. The initial eyewall, or whatever was left of it, because it had kind of fallen apart, wasn't a whole lot. We were all kind of watching watching the ops roll in at mm-hmm. 50 gusts to 60, maybe barely tropical storm force winds, even at the coastal locations. Then the backside eyewall came in, brought them very likely into Cat 1 status. But I think, I don't know what the official intensity at landfall ultimately will be in the post analysis, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of reminded me of Category 1 hurricane at Lampel. Yeah. Well, there's also the track mm-hmm. of that. I mean, it had the potential to track a little, a little to take a little jog to the west. Mm-hmm. And that would have been really problematic for more population, too. 
you think about it. Like, remember Tampa was watching this? Right? Yeah. We see that before. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, how many times does Tampa have to have a close call? Right. We can talk about, like, Tampa hasn't had a direct hit in, you know, so many years, and then they, you know, they missed out. Well, they missed out. With Ian, where we were yeah. talking about Ian yeah. for a little bit, and then Ian went farther south, and Nadalia then went farther north. So Tampa is a lucky, lucky city, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, here's the stat, Heather, that it was the first major hurricane to make yeah. landfall in the Big Bend. Yeah. So that's the, uh, that's the stat on that one. What was the official intensity from NHC, if you have on that? Uh, it's Tat 3, At landfall? Yeah. Well, that's a surprise. There's, yeah. I don't think there's any evidence of that kind of wind anyway. Yeah, I mean, but that's okay. I understand because that's what I just want to mention real quick. A lot of times when people, you know, go through these hurricane landfall experiences, they're like, well, it wasn't as bad as the category, you know, the Saffir Simpson category based on the wind. And it is true, those those categories are defined for these exposed, you know, open environments over water. Yeah. You rarely get that kind of wind or land. So the winds rapidly crash as soon as you cross the beach, essentially. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened with Idalia as well. Do you guys know when she typically like puts out their post analysis stuff? Or is it like it can be months. I think it's depends on the season too. Oh, Matt, yeah, you know, right. and we ended up with a very active season. Did, yeah, it, as it turns out, it does. I know most people think it wasn't an active season. We were well above average. Uh, we were one of what the third busiest season on record or fourth busiest. Right after right right Darren for Darren's, yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of named storms, it's just that so many of them were over the ocean and stayed out to sea. Yeah, exactly. We got <laughs> we waited up to W, I believe, because um, we could. I think Vince is the next name yeah. that we. Could hit before the year is over, um, but not complicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. All right. Two more I want to talk through here. Um, one was the Louisiana drought, which again on um, social media, some of our weather geeks listeners brought that up, and you know that's still ongoing as we speak. There's still a drought. Yeah. Yeah. They they added that to the billion dollar disasters list, and as you said, it's still ongoing. So you know it's still causing a lot of impacts, both financially and just for people who are living there. Um, but the kind of the like the catalyst event was the fact that saltwater intrusion into the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. People were getting worried about that. It was like this: the Mississippi River is such a lifeline for so many people that live along it. And now you're you're saying that like there's just not like the water is going backwards or whatever. Like I just don't understand. Um, so people were getting really worried about that situation, which I'm pretty sure like is it's eased a bit. Yeah. yeah. So, but the drought the is still heat. there. And the heat. And the heat that oh, went along so with that long. drought. Yeah. Right along the Gulf Coast, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, this summer wasn't really that hot mm-hmm. for many. We talked about that. The Northeast had a relatively yes. average or even cooler than average yeah. summer. Mm-hmm. Many of the Midwest was cold. Yeah. Right. Summer. yeah. Except right there, Louisiana, East Texas, Mississippi, that whole mm-hmm. crescent region on the Northern Gulf. Extremely hot. I can't remember Louisiana, New Orleans, how many days over 100 there were, were but it was yeah. like a record amount. You remember that? Yeah. I was mainly thinking about the Phoenix, like 110 streak. Yeah. That's That one's a little different, but yeah, the, around, I remember the New Orleans. But and just the dew points being up and meaning the overnight lows didn't drop. So they were setting all kinds of record every single day with overnight temperatures. Um, yeah. I mean, and I do worry about that in the future. Are we going to have more summers like that? Big heat dome. Mm-hmm. No rain and can't break it. Yeah. More moisture in the air. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Um, last one to recap for, for this year is Hurricane Otis. And talk about RI. <laughs> yeah, so talk about rapid intensification. Yeah. You guys did the podcast. We did. This, right? We did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun, um, yeah. but scary and sobering at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
um, because it's kind of the worst case scenario, right? Yeah. You have a category five making landfall in a highly populated area with essentially little, if any, warning. Yeah. How does that happen? Right. They got the hurricane hunters were in there right. like that night before when they finally started, you know, seeing the ops, you know, everything is ticking up so fast. The rapid intensification was insane, uh, the rate that it was going. It defied the models. It did. It defied even the um, the Dvorak scale where you look at examples of other hurricanes on satellite and try to compare it to what you have. It was stronger inside Otis than it appeared on the outside. Right. This is not a fault. I mean, the Hurricane yeah. Center, it's its a, their nightmare scenario. Yeah. I mean, their job is to save life and property. And when you don't have a lot of data telling you exactly, when you have models that are saying it's not going to get that strong right. and it exceeds everything by your wildest imaginations in the final hours before landfall, mm -hmm. that's about as bad as it gets. So they did their part. They yeah. did the best job they could. And I imagine, you know, it, looking back on it, it's probably one of their worst experiences. Yeah, I bet. I remember Lee, I was like working just like a normal nine to five that day and I left at five and I was like, there is category one notice and then leaving. And then the next morning being like, oh, it made lamppost cap five book. Imagine being at Acapulco and having no way of getting any information to you. And you think, you know, from the most recent weather forecast you saw, it's going to be just fine. And then 12 hours later, there's a cat five. Yeah. bearing down on you. I yeah. can only imagine how traumatic that experience is, honestly. Like, you just see the clouds rolling in and maybe you think like, oh, it's just, you know, like a, a storm, you know, whatever, normal thunderstorm. Or then like, it gets worse. Really good. Yeah, it's worse. like, man, this isn't stopping. This is getting really bad. That's yeah. a story we need to follow up on next year, too, right. because if that recovery is going to take some time. For sure. As they, as they all always do. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that gets us through some of the big events that we've highlighted. Obviously there's more, and I know we didn't hit every single one. I mean, will Clark's, this Clarksville or this Tennessee event, you know, will that become either a billion dollar disaster? But if anything, it's just the analogs to Mayfield that happened in 2021, how it was a very similar area, just two years apart. Yeah, so yeah. it's just, you know, weather tends to repeat itself and in horrible ways. So December has turned into a stormy month. It's, yeah, it feels like that's happening too often. Than we'd like. Yeah. And recently, a snowless month. Yes. yes. Ooh. <laughs> I want more white Christmases. Right. So we don't have a weather geek of the week this week, but I think we should just give a shout out to the meteorology community in general. I appreciate the sharing that goes on. You know, when we're working, whether it's in the field, in the studio, just on social media, across the board, no matter what station you work for, what entity, weather service, private, Everybody shares weather information, and it's all about protecting life and property and helping yeah. people stay safe. That's the number one. And um, I love that about our industry. Mm -hmm. So that's my I'll shout out. out to SPC, the Star Prediction Center, because time after time they get it right, and they give you, give us advanced warning of dangerous weather ahead. So mm -hmm. I'm always amazed at how accurate their predictions are. Yeah. yeah. Give a shout out to our geeks, you know, the passion that we, not just the three of us, but all of us who work on the show and all of you who are listening, the passion for weather just carries you so far. This is, there's never a boring day. You get to look at the weather all day. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Uh, that does it for the 2023 wrap up and uh, hope you'll join us again next time on the Weather Geeks podcast. 